This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hey, bitches, it's That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa Traeger. And my name is Kara Clank. And every week we dive into an episode of Law & Order SVU. We get out of the pool. We dive back into the true crime. Then we interview an artist, an actor, someone involved with the episode. And um, before all that, we just chat and check in on each other's lives. Lisa? You always have fun shit going on. Yeah, because we don't text nonstop at yeah, exactly. all times. We, we have to check up yeah. through Zoom. <laughs> um, well, I do have some spooky season news. Ooh. I, I feel like I might have watched this as a kid. I don't know. But I watched Elvira with my friend in Chicago, and it was such an enjoyable experience. And so ahead of her time, she is getting sexually assaulted throughout the whole movie and beating the shit out of men and like being mad that people are grabbing her and being sassy to assholes. And like have the first five minutes is her leaving her job because the new manager like assaults her. I don't think I've seen it. I, I've and touches seen- her tits. Wow. I've seen like so much Elvira, but I don't know if I've seen like a full No, movie. we just watch we just watch Drag Race. We just know how's your head? Haven't no, had no, any complaints yet. No, no, but when yet. I was a kid, I knew who Elvira was. When I yes. was a kid, it was like I've seen like bits, but I don't think I'd ever seen like the full movie, but yeah, she's an Same. icon and she just came out after like two decades or something and yeah, it's really timely, but she was ahead of her time in the subject matter, the humor and everything. And I was with my friend Marty and him and his girl, Sarah. They love you. Like they are the king and queens of YouTube clips. Like we watch old commercials. Like they always have a new genre of YouTube should show me. And so right after we watched it, they were like, let's watch Roger and Ebert talk about it. And then we watched Roger and Ebert ah. talk about Elvira. <laughs> 
That is one of my favorite things to do. And that's something I didn't really start doing until LA. Like, I don't know why I didn't do this with people in New York. Maybe it was just like when people started getting smart TVs where like their TVs were hooked up to YouTube was more like around when I was in and out of LA, but like going to people's houses and just being like, Oh no, this is my favorite video. And like, just show it like watching a bunch of like funny YouTube clips is like really fun. <laughs> yeah. But they're like professional. So anything I suggest, they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we've seen that. Oh, okay. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. Like I am never the one suggesting everything I suggest. They're like, that's from nine years ago. Oh, I, I know. mean, it's, it's when I messaged you, you and me, all, like this teen singing paparazzi at a show. And I sent it to Dave Mazzoni and Matt Rogers. And they were like, this came out 14 years ago. <laughs> and <I was> like, <laughs> they're like, you truly are a girl who gets it. Like you're so late to the game, um, but you're trying to be an ally. And I'm like, I'm bawling at this guy. He's probably has a full finance job. Like he's probably married with a child by now. And I'm like, this kid's got it. <laughs> but I'm late. No, I'm late. I'm the same. I'll be like, have you seen the kid? I'll be like, have you seen the the Manti Teo lip sync? The news like guys or like I just watch like, yeah, I will watch the shit that's so old and I'll watch the same ones over and over that really cracked me up. But yeah, I'm like, have you seen Charlie bit my finger? And they're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you seen that kid that's at the state fair going, um, apparently, uh, apparently. <laughs> YouTube. Um, <laughs> so that was my spooky season thing. And I am doing a show at Union Hall in New York City on Halloween. Oh, yes. This episode comes out a few days before Halloween. So if you haven't gotten tickets, we've posted about it in our stories. But go to Lisa's page, Glitter Cheese on Instagram and get all the scoop on that New York show. because That's going to be dope. And Union Hall is such a fun venue and not huge. So tickets will go and it will sell out. So get them quickly. Yeah, and it's the start of the night, so then you can party all night. I just knew if I didn't have structured fun, I wouldn't wear a costume, and I knew I wanted to be fun. Like, I needed... Are you, in, uh, are you announcing plans. in advance what your costume is? Because I know what it is, or are you waiting for people to see oh, it? Oh, I have to wait. I have to wait. Reveal. Okay. Yeah, but I think I'm going to be a hit. I think New York City is going to come out for me. I think they're going to be excited for what I am offering. I'm also going to be in West Nyack the weekend before. Listen, I'm on the road. <laughs> And I, oh, it's 11, 11, um, make a wish. Oh, you guys don't know. You can be listening to this at all times, but <laughs> it just hit 11, 11, which means we're doing everything right in our lives. <laughs> we're on the right path and we're exactly where we need to be. So that's um, pretty exciting reassurance from the universe, except my ear piercing is infected. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's just like, but it, you're wearing real gold. I don't get it. And I've seen you at Moon Tower. You were really dousing that thing with the, <laughs> with the antiseptic or whatever. <laughs> I'm really surprised. Oh, also, what's funny? Speaking of Moon Tower, I sent Margaret Cho a message because I'm desperate for her love. And Kara messaged me going, Margaret Cho messaged us. I go, no, I messaged her. (laughs) (laughs) But she did respond. She did respond. I thought she sent us a message, but I didn't realize that Lisa, never mind. You guys get it. But like, (laughs) she did respond. So I, uh, you know. Um, no, I think the reason is, and I read about the ears. So with tattoos, like you have to be careful, but after a few days, like it's fine. You know, it's, it'll be fine. Um, but piercings, I didn't really, they're an open wound. Yes. And you have to treat it like a wound. So I accidentally, I think in Chicago while partying, maybe didn't wash it for a day or two or like I slept on my dirty sheet. You know, I touched it. Well, my sister told me to twist it. And then everything I read was like, do not twist your earring. So, oh, yeah, that's like maybe that that might be like an old wives tale. Yeah. Thing. And it's like your dirty hands and in the cut. So I think it was just like a two day 
Like I was just like kind of shady for two days and that was enough to get infected. And I was like, oh yes, piercings are wounds. Tattoos are yeah. also wounds, but they're just more relaxing to take care of. I think for like, sure. This is two months. It's going to hurt. Oh girl. As I told you when I was a kid and yes, I was a kid. So I'm sure it was like dirty and I'm sure my mom did not get me like pure gold jewelry, but like I went through like two years of, of, of in and out of having my ears infected, but now they're perfect. Like I can, not wear earrings, wear earrings. Like well, I can wear cheap earrings. I can wear anything. Like my ears are like in, I'm just indestructible now, but it did take like some time to toughen them up. And it's just embarrassing to go through this much pain because I want to be like Emma Chamberlain. Like the <laughs> only reason I want second, second pierced holes is because of a 20 year old YouTuber and that, <laughs> and now I'm like infected and in pain and can't sleep. Like it is uh, pretty upsetting. You gotta do what you gotta do. You're you're an influencer on the rise. I'm trying. So I do want to give um, a shout out. So I got to stay at the Drake Hotel in Chicago, which was my childhood dream. Oh yeah. And I did I already, did I talk about this on the last? No, intro? you didn't. You just told okay. me personally. Okay, we'll cut that or not. Oh, who cares? <laughs> um, you guys seem to like us. <laughs> 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 um, I met I met some uh, nice people at the Chicago show that I did. It was really exciting. My old nanny boss was there, but um, I got to stay at the Drake Hotel, which was my childhood dream. I've wanted to stay there since I was a kid. Like when you drive down Lakeshore Drive, there's a gazebo to the left. I've always wanted to get married in, and then to the right was this beautiful hotel. So I got to stay in it. I got to go to the bar. I had a Manhattan. Like I was just living my. It, it seemed like Trey McDougal from Sex and the City would hang out there. It's old money leather yeah. dark yeah 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 titanic vibes you know it's not hip um they you know they're known for tea time but i met a former nfl player who is an announcer on the big 10 network he has a championship with ohio state I, he said he's told me his wife loves svu i hope she's now listening um but joshua perry and so because i saw his louis vuitton wallet and he's like oh yeah i stay here for work for 15 weeks in the fall and i go sir you're clearly in football. I'm not a fool. <laughs> I'm not a fool. I would never, I would have been like, oh, cool. Your company sends you to Chicago. Neato. What do you do? <laughs> no, immediately. I'm like brand name. I, I was embarrassed to put my fanny pack on the bar because of his Louis wallet. Um, but 15 weeks in the fall is just so specific. So I got to like hang out with this cool football player. And I was like, this is, this is what dreams are made out of. And at the Drake, they have couches in the elevator. You could take a seat if you want. Ooh, wow. I've never yeah. seen a couch in an elevator. That's exciting. Yeah, just see. And I found an Instagram called Eating in Bed, and my new goal in life is to be featured on it. Oh, anyone got the tip for Lisa to get on Eating in Bed? I am actually the <laughs> opposite, as so much of our uh, personalities are opposite. <laughs> I never eat in bed, and um, it makes me nervous to do it. Yeah, no, sometimes I'm sleeping and I feel crumbs all around me. It is part of... <laughs> No, like gig. I listened to this podcast with Casey Wilson and she constantly, she has like full meals in bed and she talks about it all the time. And it's just like that. It, it gives me anxiety even to hear her talk about it. I'm like, oh my God, you're eating like a huge, like a huge takeout meal in a hotel. I have done it because I don't care as much, but in my own personal bed. No. Well, I also don't have a table, so it's tough. <laughs> 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 it makes it difficult. No, um, the trick in hotels is if you have two beds, one's for eating, one's, one's for eating sleeping. Bed. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah, are yeah. you telling people for Halloween or are you keeping it secret too? Because yours is a good costume. You know what? I actually saw Georgia on uh, the weekend and was like, 
we were going to tell each other our costumes and then we were like, let's just wait and like find out. So I'm not going to say, cause I don't want anyone. I don't know. Not that I even know if Georgia listens to our podcast, but I was just like, I'm keeping it secret. So I'll tell you guys, you'll see, we'll put our, our costumes on our Instagram, right? We'll like take pictures and show on our Instagram, like what we were for Halloween. So, Oh, of course. Oh yeah. I, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I will be you'll on the see later. And mine is so obvious. I won't even have to do a side by side of the real thing. Like you'll see it and you'll be like, wow. Yeah. I mean, it also might be a popular one this year too. I don't, I don't really. Who knows? I don't know. I think yours is really fun. And yours is a very, I think both of us are doing, if you know, you know, kind of costumes. Um, your description of the Drake kind of reminded me of the Campbell apartment. Have you ever been there in New York? Never even heard of it. It's this really like beautiful bar right off of it's attached to Grand Central. And it's what you're describing, like dark leather, old money, like the drinks are like $20, you know, like it's but it's uh, next time you're in New York, if you want that kind of experience, you should go. Well, and I, you know, some people commented like, oh, but that's like a powerful move. And then some people, I don't know, but it was fun to be sitting in the tea room in a sweatshirt while like high as hell um, <laughs> while everyone is in tuxedos gowns really dressed up for the affair and i was just like postmating dunkin donuts to the titanic i <laughs> just heading down in my browser sweatpants and so i liked that and then i stole the door sign of course so i have my I, the drake door I sign love that. Hmm. I always have to create a memory for myself you're very vivian at the um Plaza or whatever. No, no. Where is she? The Beverly Eloise? Hilton. Do you mean no, no, Eloise? no, no, no. Who's I'm talking about Pretty Woman. Pretty oh, Woman. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Eloise at the Plaza. <laughs> no, no. What is what hotel is she staying at? Pretty Woman, like the Beverly Hilton or something like that. But you I know. don't remember. But she was more slutty. I mean, if I could dress, well, yeah, like she that, was more slutty, but she was definitely kind of like I don't care. You know that yeah. vibe. Yeah, you have nothing um, to prove here. It feels yeah. nice. It feels nice to be so chill. Also, last night I ran into someone that's obsessed with forensic files and we got to um, talk back and forth about our favorite forensic files and everyone around us was disgusted and walked away. <laughs> and I met someone else that collects Simpsons toys. I had a really... What a weekend. A real wild weekend. And I this, I don't know if I told you this. I ran into Asif Ali. Do you know him? Yeah. You guys know his face. He's like in every single TV show and movie right now. He's crushing the game. And so we were talking at a show and I guess we talked for like 40, 45 minutes and the photographer and another comic were standing near us and the photographer went, I've been trying to wait for a pause in the conversation to take a photo and you guys didn't pause. That's the longest uninterrupted conversation I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> And the other comic was like, you guys didn't take a drink, not a breath, not a moment. He goes, I, I, I've never seen anything like it. And I guess me and Asif just talked so much that they felt uncomfortable to interrupt us. And I was like, wow, that's there's exciting. A, there's a reason you have a born to chat Bitcoin tattoo on your body. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you are you are born to chat. I, that's who I watched Elvira with is who I have the ma matching tattoo. Oh, right, 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 right. But yeah. I just was like laughing so hard that they kept they just like we just couldn't yeah. stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, do you love that Joe Coy and Chelsea Handler are in love? Because I do. Uh, yeah, it's cute. I, it's so funny to me because I was obsessed with Chelsea Handler. Like I was obsessed with the um the show Chelsea. Yes. Lately. I like I watched it like truly every night and like he was always on and like I never even saw a spark between them. Do you know what I mean? Like I never saw any kind of thing like that. And so 
when she originally announced it, I was like, is this a gag? And then I was like, oh, my God, they're so happy. And like, she seems so excited. I'm happy for her. Yeah. And she commented like age is a wonderful thing or something like that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I like love their love and I'm ready for this journey. I'm ready it happens for this. a lot. I feel like where people grow up and then they realize that their old friend is kind of like the one, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and they're both like successful and funny and attractive. And then Asif brought this up and he's like, and they're age appropriate. That never happens yeah. in Hollywood. You have Dane <laughs> Cook fucking strolling high school. So it's um <laughs> it's exciting to I don't know. I'm like, I they can never post enough. I want more and more. Oh, and more yeah. They, they, they're probably gonna have a really fun like Instagram life. Um, and then the breakup could be explosive, but let's hope they last. No, I want to <laughs> see wedding pics. I'm on that train. I love true love. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. No, I'm definitely, so I'm happy for her. Like, you know. I have a new crush and I'm trying to not uh, repeat patterns and project everything onto this person and be casual. But I don't it even is know exciting. about this. Yes, you do. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Sorry, sorry, so sorry. so annoying. I do. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. I just thought for a second it was a different thing. I was like, I know about it. Of course. And I'm trying to stake. Oh, my God. We have to move on. But we have to talk about the news, too, before we get into this horrific episode. One, actually, I hit. I hit. Well, because um, it's just whatever. I'm making connections to sex in the city that don't even make sense. But <laughs> um, there was news. I didn't go too much into it because things like this upset me. And most of Kara and I lives are researching horrific things. So sometimes I try to, like, protect my energy. But there was a rape on a Pennsylvania train and people just watched and did nothing and videotaped it. Yeah. I, I'm the same as you. This popped up on my red, this popped up on Reddit for me and I couldn't, I couldn't watch the video and I couldn't, I couldn't like get in like too, too deep into it. Cause it's truly a nightmare of mine because of an SVU. Like everybody, I'm not sure the, I'm not sure the title of the episode, but the episode with um, Nicole Sullivan from mad tv where she's like this boss bitch that gets onto the train first thing with her coffee and then like really quickly this man gets on the train like rapes her on like the c train which was the train i took every day in new york and all these people just watch and are like and it's like very uh, you know i'm sure everybody wants to bring in like kitty genovese and like the bystander effect and everything but that scene haunted me and then that's exactly what just happened and it's like I understand everybody thinks they're helping by getting shit on video, but like if there's a way that you can help without endangering yourself or, you know, or stopping a rape, like what the fuck? Yeah, it's really so horrific. Like I can't even. And it's a group of you. Like you could have done it. I mean, I never mind my business, but you never know what you're how you're going to act in the moment. You know, you think you're prepped for stuff, and then, you know, it's what we talk about. You can't act normal in abnormal circumstances. But I just can't imagine sitting watching someone get raped. There's no fucking way. And I actually know that because I have intervened in multiple things throughout my life constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> I, well, I mean, hopefully they caught they got the guy, right? I mean, I didn't even look into it enough, but I'm, I hope they got the guy. They got the guy. Hannah knows. They got the guy. I think the most horrific thing, though, about the news article is that it lasted over six minutes in the previous 45 minutes before he was harassing her in front of people. Ugh. So that really people need to step up their games. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, if you're just sitting there taping it, I feel like you should be like ashamed of yourself. It's like, it's like horrific. I bet those people will hopefully live with this guilt and shame for the rest of their lives. <laughs> I hope it weighs heavy on them forever. Yeah. Because it is um, 
Go I get a know. conductor. Go get like I don't know. Go get somebody. Go press get, the like, emergency. Yeah, press button. the emergency <laughs> thing. Like there's ways you can do if you feel physically anxious or you that you are like you know compromised in a way that you can't help physically. Like there's got you know there's things you can do. Like Jesus. But what is it? What is it? Is it like I? Is it the I don't want to be wrong? Is it it's not my business? Is it maybe she want like what is in the minds of the people? I think it's a fear usually. I mean I don't know. Like I said like. I feel I just told you guys this story off camera, but like I one time my sister and I walked on to a huge crowd watching a homeless guy get beat up and I got right up to the guy's face and my sister was halfway down the block like she's so such a nervous person like that flight is her response and fight was more my response. And that's just I think that's like maybe just an inherent thing. But when you're on like a train and like, I don't know, there's I just feel like there's things you can do if it's not physically getting blocking it yourself. There's other things you can do. And you know what? I actually have a positive way to um, get us into this episode um, that is not <laughs> watching someone get raped on a train. And it is a listener, a friend, a comedian, a baker. Our friend Lindsay Adams got secret married this weekend. Yes. So congrats, Lindsay, if you're listening. I know you are. Thank you, um, Lindsay, for <laughs> allowing your marriage to segue us into our episode <laughs> and off of this horrific news. I know you did it for us. And we just if you guys watch the live show, she was one of our comedians that came on and did trivia when we did our virtual live show. And um, we're so happy for them. I love them so much. Yeah. So Lindsay and Nick, uh, cool. They've been together for like a decade. Yeah, they did like a fun courthouse thing, but they looked really beautiful and it was awesome. But yeah, let's get going. We have an, a classic app for you today and an amazing interview. And uh, yeah, just we have a lot of stuff for you. All right. Chameleon, baby. Season four, episode one, the premiere of season four of Law and Order SVU. They're really hitting their stride here. Not to be confused with a really great podcast that I think I've shouted out on this podcast before called Chameleon that I'm I was really obsessed with the first season. I haven't watched the second season, but I mean, listen to it, but it's great. Anyway, we open on some kind of like very techno party happening. I don't know. Maybe it's a sex club. You don't really know what it is initially. Everybody is lots of butts are being grabbed. It's it's safe to say it's a sex club. You you uh I don't know. I never in New York was like, oh, that's a sex club walking by a place. But I guess some clubs have sexy nights. I don't know. Um, Lisa, any sex no, clubs in New you York? Ha- yeah, but you have to know. It's like, if yeah. you know, you know, you're not, you can't, you're not going to walk by and just see a sex club. I went to clubs where like people were doing coke and stuff. I never was like, oh, hey, we're going to a sex club tonight. Or like none of my friends were like, and the other day I went to a sex club. Like, I don't know. Did that happened to we, you? Maybe we have separate friends. Yeah. Oh, Maybe we have separate friends. We definitely do have a lot of separate <laughs> friends. So I'm asking you to tell me. Yes, there are sex clubs in New York. Have you gone to Canada? I have not. No. Oh, okay. But they exist. No, I know. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I'm just saying in my experience of New York, I was like, I was at clubs that were letting you sneak cigarettes when the laws first changed. I was never in a sex club, but maybe it's never say never. Um... Okay, so you know you definitely know it's a sex club because suddenly the NYPD raids the place. That doesn't really happen at like Marquee. So there's a few um like makeshift fuck stalls in the back. So it is very much a sex club. <laughs> and um there's a bar and a DJ, of course, at the sex club. And then one of the sex workers is telling the cops that a guy tried to rape her. 
uh, and this one cop is being very 2002 about it. He's like, if they don't pay you, it's not rape. It's theft of service. Like he's very not sensitive to sex work. And she insists that she was attacked and wants to report it. And now Benson and Stabler are on the scene and this douchey Wall Street guy's walking by them and he goes, I didn't know what kind of club this was. Like he's me being like, is this a sex club? And um, Benson has her very, very butch haircut and is like, your flies down. She says it's so nonchalant. It's a very fun line because this guy's like, I had no idea. And it's like, you just were getting your dick sucked Remember three seconds ago. when having your fly down was the most embarrassing thing that could ever happen? And <laughs> yeah. now it's like, truly, we were with people and I was like, your fly's down, someone zipped it and it meant nothing. Like, <laughs> it wasn't embarrassing and nothing. It means nothing anymore. But yeah. it was like the hugest embarrassment that you could ever live through. Yeah, you would say X, Y, Z, like code words to let people know that their fly was down. It's was It was truly... Yeah, definitely a humiliating moment back in the day. Now maybe we've embraced it. Um, the name of the sex worker who's making the uh, report, it says her name is Chantilly, but it's actually, they were like, let's get your real name, babe. And she's like, it's Lisa Perez. And she's actually played by Sara Ramirez from Grey's Anatomy fame. And this is her second appearance on SVU, actually. I'm sorry, but Chantilly does not roll off the tongue. I know. That's not a sexy name or an easy name or a fun name to say at all. It you know, the only thing I could think of for the angle would be like if you're trying to get like Southern businessmen that are there like being tourists, like Chantilly has like a Southern kind of like genteel thing to it. That That's my only grasp at a straw for that name. It's not a great sexy name. No. So um, they're talking. Benson and Stabler aren't really giving Chantilly the time of day either. They're kind of like, okay, what happened? And like Stabler's like very much rolling his eyes while he gets out a tiny notepad to take down her info. And then um, they get interrupted by these other cops that are like, you got to come see this. And they go into the the bathroom and there's just a dead woman hanging from a belt by the back of the uh, bathroom stall door. So not great. And Chantilly slash Lisa is there. And she goes, oh my God, that's Randy. I told you guys. And then it's the credits. So we're starting to think, okay, there might be somebody who's out there killing sex workers in a serial manner. The cops are uh, still not being very cool with Chantilly at the top of the ep- of the next act. She is being very sassy to Munch, Cragen and Finn, though. I, I kind of like her. But why attitude. wouldn't she be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She's being really funny and like, you guys aren't listening to me. You're not taking me seriously. Like she is ahead of her time for sure. We find out the dead girl's name is Randy, a.k.a. Godiva. Chocolatey. I like Godiva. You like you Godiva. thought I would attack it. Yeah. No, I, I was like just Godiva. wondering your 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 sense of it compared to Chantilly. Well, no, Godiva, rich, smooth, delicious. I understand <laughs> that. You know, elegant. That's not yeah. a, that's not a Ferrero Rocher. That's a Godiva, baby. You right. Know? Right. Okay, so Godiva has worked in the club a little over a year. I kind of love the name Godiva now. I'm having a moment, <laughs> <laughs> seeing another future for my life. A screen name, something, a tattoo. We could work something Godiva into your life. Well, because I used to, you. Um, if you signed up for the Godiva Club, you can get one free chocolate a month. Oh. Yeah, so I would take a niece or a nephew to the mall and I'd be like, get a snack, babe. And I'd get him <laughs> one chocolate. <laughs> Whoa. Cool aunt with the chocolates. You know Chantilly is a type of frosting, right? No. Someone will call you out on it. If you never watch Bake Off, it's a type of very sweet frosting for a cake. So oh, they kind of go okay. hand in hand. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I think of Chantilly lace. 
I don't know. We'll cut. We'll cut me out. Wait, no. Wait, wait. Why don't we leave it in? We obviously have got two non-British Bake Off people here. And if we can avoid people, if we, if I can avoid 75 DMs saying Chantilly's a frosting, I'd love to. Um, so we find out that Godiva's worked in this club a little over a year. She's got two priors for prostitution. Um, and Lisa slash uh, Chantilly is like sassing the cops. She's like, oh, but you guys are taking a break. And then she's like nudging the sketch artist's arms. Like she's definitely a character. And then Benson like goes to try to talk to her, like, you know, woman to woman. And she takes off her wig. Like she's wearing this blonde wig with bangs, which you can tell is a wig. But when she takes it off, her hair underneath looks perfect. Like, it's very shocking. I'm like, you just have a full blowout underneath a wig and you've been working all night. I don't think so. That shit's going to be matted down and sweaty, but for the sake of television. Very Roxy Andrews. Thick and juicy of her. Way to go, baby. (laughs) Yeah. It was like a wig and a wig reveal. Yes, for sure. And Lisa says, you know what? Like, nobody watches out for us. We watch out for ourselves. I should have listened to Sister Peg. She warned them about this like asshole who's out there trying to choke girls out. So now we go to talk to Sister Peg, the patron saint of good people. Sister Peg keeps a bad trick list like John's to avoid. And, uh, you know, they take a look at it and they're kind of making fun of it, which is like rude. That's like, oh, this guy punches you. This one picks you up here, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, this is it. And it's like, yeah, well, she's doing more than you're doing. So, uh, And they're like, well, if you could give us the girl, if you could tell us the girls who have said that have gotten away from this man who's tried to choke them or whatever and and rape them, we can, you know, try to drop a profile or find the guy. And she's like, my policy is no cops, no offense. It's like you can't take offense from Sister Pat. Um, And she says she'll show the sketch that they have to the girls, the sketch that um, Lisa slash Chantilly was working on, which was really funny because I forgot to mention like. The the sketch artist was like, can you stop bumping my shoulder? Like while she was, he was doing the sketch and she was just not giving a fuck. A very chaotic energy in the precinct. And I liked it in a silky turquoise dress. Um, Anyway, now they're talking to Warner about Randy's body. Uh, She's giving them the rundown like that. Randy was kind of had a lot of STIs. She had hep B, hep C, PID. She was 23 years old. And had she lived, she probably would have been like unable to have kids like i don't know so i guess she's been through a lot uh the cause of death is strangulation she was hung with the belt post-mortem so that's not actually what killed her and it looks like the person used their forearm to choke her because there's like an impression of a button on her neck so like the guy's sleeve so um they meantime get a call about another victim because obviously these things happen boop, 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 on the show all the time same exact sort of scenario when they get to this crime scene. There's a woman, a working girl hanging from a fence. Here, Warner finds a perfect thumbprint in lipstick uh, around this girl's uh, face somewhere. So they track down a man named Sean Becker, convicted of assault and attempted rape years ago, like in 94, so years earlier. And he's been out. Yeah, he got out of jail three weeks ago. Oh, my God, he's reoffending. Who could have suggested that? Who could have thought that would have happened? So this guy's um, ex is the one who had him arrested in 94. So they think, oh, because these two women have both been blonde and his ex was blonde, that this suggests that he's hurting these women as like a surrogate for his ex who got him sent away. So they bring Sean's mugshot and wanted posters to sister Peg. And they're like, we need to talk to the girls to see if they've seen this guy, but she won't give up the names. 
And event, and Benson and Sable are like convinced her eventually because they're like, this guy's going to keep killing people. So if he kills 50 girls, are you still going to like stand by your like, you know, si- keeping them silent? So she kind of gives them a breadcrumb. She's like, go to this hotel that they used to or what she says is she goes, some of my girls used to work out of a hotel on 37th and 10th. They don't really anymore. But that was like a hotel that was used to maybe go there and see if they know who, who this dude is. So they arrive at the Palm Hotel. Uh, a very classy name for a very seedy joint. And the manager tells them that was fast. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I, ca- I just called you guys. I heard a gun go off in one of my rooms. So he positively IDs Sean Becker. He's like, that's the guy who's up in the room where the gun went off. So when they get there, they open the door and there's a woman sort of like scantily clad holding a gun and saying, I shot him. And this is Sharon Lawrence. This actress is Sharon Lawrence, who is very well known for NYPD Blue. She's been on Desperate Housewives. I mean, her IMDb is extensive. She is very prolific. But I always remember her as a big role on NYPD Blue for years and years in the 90s. Um, anyway, Sean Becker is next to the bed, dead, bloody, Good. et cetera. Yeah, done. I'm for vigilante justice. I don't care. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> right. Um, so at the hospital, they're talking to this woman and calling her Deborah. Do you think it would be psychotic oh. or cool if we went to New York and did a tour of all the motels that all the sex workers have stayed in and stay at all the at the Palm Hotel and all these places? I would go to a tour. I would not stay in them. OK, I go. Do you, out. <laughs> you wouldn't want to take some clients and do yeah. a full on <laughs> a full on documentary full experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So they're talking to Deborah about what happened. And I don't know. It's it's funny to me because Sharon Lawrence just like has. I don't know. I just don't know if I like buy her as this like uh, sex worker, but I, that might be my own biases or something. But it's just an interesting casting. But she is uh, there. She's they're calling her Deborah. And uh, she basically explains. She's like, I asked him to settle up. And he hit me and he just kept hitting me. He threw me on the bed. He raped me. He pulled out a gun. We fought. He dropped the gun. I grabbed it. I shot him three times. We both reached for, we wrote, do you know that song? <laughs> we both reached for the gun. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, yes. So, yes. So, yes. yes. Though that's the road. They both, yeah. That's <laughs> what I was trying to get that rhythm. But um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, love Chicago, the city and the musical. Big, I think big it's fan. the best mu- movie musical of all time. I have never seen a better movie musical than Chicago. Interesting. I think it's the best one ever. Made. Yeah, it, it is very good. I mean, I saw it on. Um, no, I'm trying to think because I'm like, no, Rent the movie really was bad. Um, Hannah, you're a musical person. What are the other mus- big movie musicals? I would say I liked Hairspray. Oh, I've never saw oh, it. Oh, I do love Hairspray. James Chicago's Marsden. better. Yeah, Chicago was Oscar worthy. Yeah. yeah. I never saw Hairspray, but that's a good call. Yeah, no, it's Chicago a fun was one. very good. Yeah, very, very good. Um, but I did see it on Broadway with B.B. Newworth, and that's like one of my most treasured memories because I she's a, a legend and an SVU alum. Um, okay. So basically, this feels like we know it's not over because we know we're watching a television show, but this feels like it's over, right? Like Stabler is talking to Cabot and she's like, everything checks out for self-defense, pretty open and shut. We're not going to press charges against her. She was, you know, defending herself. And then we are at ballistics with Munch and Finn and we find out that there's another body on this gun, meaning that another body, another person has been killed with this gun. So that poses a little bit of a problem because this 
murder happened six months ago. And that was when uh, Sean Becker was in Attica. So he could not have killed that person. Doesn't seem that weird to me that a rapist would have gotten out of jail and found a gun on the street and that it might have another body on it. But everyone's acting like that's a crazy thing. The previous victim was named Leonard Graves. He was a dealer. He had three shots to the head and was robbed. And it was ruled a drug related homicide. And so now they're all kind of like wondering if maybe Deborah was more involved. Maybe it was her gun. Let's find out about this previous murder. And they're like, go back and talk to Deborah. Uh oh, hospital says Deborah has fully skipped out after talking to the cops and that Deborah is not her real name. All her info was fake, her social was fake, et cetera. Cragen sends Benson and Stabler to the 22 to investigate what happened with the Leonard Graves murder, the 22nd precinct, and Munch and Finn go to try to track down Deborah, who they're calling Mystery Hooker. Uh, not my words, but kind of a fun name for maybe a movie or something. About a month after Leonard died, his credit card bill had been run up and signed by Mrs. Leonard Graves. And the description was only that she was blonde. And one of the biggest charges on the credit card was to FAO Schwartz, storied toy store in the middle of New York. But why did they close? Because there was also one in Chicago and stuff. And I, why did they not survive? The only reason I can think that they didn't survive is because of where they're located. I mean, like it's located truly like right near the Apple store, right near the plaza. Like it just must be a very, very expensive location to be selling toys, I guess. I don't know. It's crazy, though, because I went going there. there. Oh, I took Rosie there like two Christmases ago when she was a baby and I got her a little keychain that she has on her diaper bag. I mean, it's like I, I it's a rite of passage to take a kid to FAO Schwartz. I didn't even realize that they'd fully shut until you said that. Well, did they did you ever have an FAO Suites? No, we had an FAO Suites um, attached to the FAO Schwartz and the Old Orchard Mall. Wow. And it was like just all good candy. Yeah, like, you know, those bins and scoop you fill it. up a bat. Yeah, yeah. Scoop, scoop candy. That was hard um, as an immigrant kid to convince your parents because there's also a sweet factory in the mall. But like to them, it's like $18 for a pound. Like it's, <laughs> it is insane, but it is so fun. I love the scoops. Yeah, to get all your different kinds. You know what I love getting at places like that are chocolate covered gummy bears. I love chocolate gummy We've never talked about this. No. I love chocolate covered gummy bears. They're one of my favorite things. They're very rare to find. Yes, but they're almost only at scoop places. Oh my God. I can't <laughs> believe we didn't know this because I learned we both like junior mints a few months ago, but now this is a whole new level. This is, I mean, this is what's great is we're still finding things to find out about each other. I you also know? love um, like the little pastel rainbow colored little minty yogurt chip looking things with little white sprinkles on it. Oh, yeah. Those uh, I actually always think are going to be gross. And then when I eat them, I think that they're so good. Yeah, I love it. I thought you were about to say chocolate covered almonds. And I was like, this sucks. And then it took such a turn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love a chocolate covered gummy bear. So good. Um, okay. So the FAO Schwartz thing is a, is like a, okay, that's like a, a clue for them. And then <laughs> meanwhile, Munch and Finn track a call that was made from the hospital during Deborah's stay in the hospital to a daycare. And the daycare was like, uh, they're like, oh, we got this. We saw this call that came in and who was that? And they're like, oh, that was Maggie. This woman has an encyclopedic memory for all calls that come in at her daycare. And she's like, well, um, from the hospital, you'd remember if someone was in the hospital. Uh, yeah, right. I guess. I, yeah, sure. And so uh, even if it was three months ago, if someone was like, did someone from the hospital call you? I'd be like, no, yeah. but, but I didn't know that the hospital was like 
actually divulge. Like I thought Maggie just made a phone call from the hospital saying, hi, it's me. I'll be late picking up my son. Not like it's me calling from the hospital, but you're right. Maybe she did say that. Uh, were you one of those people that if you went to the hospital, you keep your hospital bracelet on for a long time to show off? I never went to the hospital. Oh, but who did that? People still do it. Full <laughs> adults do. <laughs> It's a thing. They want you to ask what happened. Oh, my it's God. Weird. I like even you and I just went to a festival and we had to have like we had to wear bracelets the entire time for to show that we were vaccinated. And I wanted to take it off every night. Like, I don't like to go to sleep with like I actually did a show or anything. the night after like I landed and had a show that night and there were multiple people still wearing their bracelets with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, I just like so I'm definitely not a person that would wear my hospital bracelet. Like the only time I've been to the hospital is to have my kids. And I was like, snip, snip. But I did keep them as keepsakes anyway. Um, so the woman at the daycare is like, oh, yeah, Maggie called. She told us she'd been mugged and that she wanted to pick up her son, Joey, early. And now they're on a little vacation together. She is such a wonderful mother. And like you kind of get the sense that this woman's been duped by um maggie so now we're finding out that this woman who we thought was deborah well she also duped the police she's duping everyone yeah she yes she's duping she be duping all over town and she uh maggie peterson is her full name so benson went through vicap which if you remember is like the computer system that police departments can use to check like uh, MOs. So like, oh, this guy always does this after the, the murder. Like that's how you can um, sort of link a bunch of different crimes together. So she searched homicides in known areas of sex work where um, a credit card had been stolen and anything had been stolen, like, like uh, anything had been charged like hotel rooms or children's items. And she found a bunch of homicides that popped up. And so when they're, they're talking about this lady and they're like, I don't know, Stabler's like one self-defense I can buy, but six of them, this lady's a serial killer. So Captain Gregan. And so now it's like, dun, dun, like we got to find this lady. When they're looking at all these different victims, the cause of deaths is like not always the same. Like sometimes she's shot, they've been shot. Sometimes they've been stabbed. Like there's different, different, uh, MOs there. So that's a little bit of a red flag, but, uh, Wong is also not comfortable labeling her a serial killer just yet. Munch does a whole monologue about how female serial killers don't have a profile because like historically they just people think like female serial killers don't exist. And historians believe that many unsolved murders were committed by women because people just assumed that women couldn't kill or be be violent like that. And I'm like, I guess historians have never seen the oxygen network. Well, no. And women are better at committing crimes. That's what they, it's like, I guess women didn't do it. And it's like, no, they're just poisoning you with little flowers slowly yeah. <laughs> every morning in your oatmeal, you know? Yes. They are meticulous. Yeah. Antifreeze um, having a new, uh, a, a distinct taste now really fucked up a lot of secret yes. murdering. <laughs> really a real fork in the plan. Yeah. Back when it tastes like Gatorade, we had a lot of uh, <laughs> options. Um, no, chicks are just good at murder. Hopefully. I mean, or they get angry like Chicago, you know, <laughs> bubble. What is it? Snap. Squish. Yeah. That's Cicero. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Wong argues that she was raped. And so she might have rape trauma syndrome that maybe this guy does something that provokes a feeling from a past assault and that's what leads her to kill. Who knows? So Elliot and Olivia get called to another crime scene. A guy is bloody in his car with his pants undone. 
He's got six stab wounds. His name is Vincent Bertram, and they're checking to see if any of his credit cards have been used. The cause of death happened uh, two to four hours pre-release, which means he has not, he did not uh, get, he didn't jizz. He didn't come. Sorry. (laughs) Why was that so hard for you? I don't know. I don't know why that was so hard because I was trying to say he didn't. Um, I were you trying to, say, to be appropriate? Why? Yeah, I was. I his was. balls were filled with jizz and he didn't come yet. Yeah, he didn't come <laughs> yet, and so he basically died of blue balls, you guys. So it's real. Everything <laughs> that guys tell you in high school about how painful it is—that's what happened to this guy. No. Um, and somebody goes, "Oh, is that significant?" And he goes, "Ice T goes, no, that's just cold." classic um but they do see a charge on uh one of his credit cards for a hotel they bust into the hotel this seems like very sloppy we're talking about how women do good work it seems very sloppy to kill a guy and check right into a hotel with his credit card but okay they bust into the hotel maggie's there with her little son joey who's very upset he's like mommy 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 um so in the next scene, they're at the precinct and little Joey is sitting on Munch's lap. And I that was very touching for me. Like, I think we've all seen all of them all be with like tiny babies before. But like Munch bouncing a two and a half year old, like probably whispering theories about the Kennedy assassination into his ear was cute to me. And Wong is like, give me a chance to talk to Maggie. Let me examine her. So he sits down with her. I love a Wong one-on-one, as we all do, a Huang one-on-one. And basically, we're finding out her dad was a dick. He was always uh, not a nice man. He was violent towards her. Uh, She's never had voices in her head, but she does when he suggests, have you ever, like, lost time? Have you ever woken up and not know how you got somewhere? She's like, oh, yeah, that happens to me all the time. Wow, I can't believe I never considered that this happens every time basically I go home with a John that happens to me. So she starts telling him all that. And then she basically relates it back to, she said, my would black out when my dad would start hitting me. So, uh, on the other side of the glass, Wong is done with the interview and he's like, she's not psychotic, but she does have PTSD. I also think she's lying and she's telling me whatever I want to hear which I love when Wong is able to kind of like cut through the bullshit, even with like people that are good actors. Cause she seems like she's probably a pretty convincing actor to most people, but not to Wong. So then they send Stabler in alone so that he can observe her talking to someone else and shit gets wild here. She immediately like changes her demeanor. Like she, uh, if she was voting in one of our grid games, she is not voting for Wong. She is voting for Stabler. She is so flirty immediately, like starts unbuttoning her cardigan. She's wearing one of these cardigan sets that were very hot. I had many of them were very big in the early 2000s. I won't say hot because I don't think a cardigan set's ever considered super hot, but she's unbuttoning it and she's got like a little sort of tank underneath it that matches it. And she sits up on the table, like in front of Stabler, basically um, telling him his, he has a hot body, but he, she knows it's only to impress other people. So she basically is like straddling Stabler. This is very basic instinct. She's talking in a sultry voice. It's very, um, she's trying really hard. And then there's a knock and Stabler just gets up and walks out like he's very immune to her uh, sexy ways. And then uh, Huang explains that she's got what's called a cocktail personality. I think this might be made up for the show because I Googled it and um, it just really wasn't available anywhere uh, defined as like something that is 
psychological if you're if you if you are like a psychologist or you're you've studied uh psychology please let us know if that is a legitimate uh yeah thing if you've studied a cocktail personality please let us know yeah because when you look it up it literally is like what cocktail is your personality and it's like <laughs> gin and tonic i mean um sh- so basically he says that a cocktail personality is someone who uh, senses other people's vulnerabilities, reads their personalities, and then performs accordingly. So it's a classic sign of a sociopath. So when she was speaking to Huang, she was ap- appealing to his vulnerable side. And you know that he's this sensitive, sort of more of a caring uh, vibe about him. And then with Stabler, it was like, you know, talking about his body and being sexy because she assumes like the way that he looks, that that's what he would be into. So Huang suggests that she may have put herself with these violent men on purpose, thinking that she could control the situations and that the best way to take away her control is to expose her lies. So that's when they send in the big guns, Benson. So Benson comes in and you can tell Maggie's pissed. She's like, where's Stabler? And Benson's like, it's just us girls now. And it's really funny. So she confronts Maggie that her mom is still alive and that there's no dad on the birth certificate. So she probably never knew her dad. And that whole story about the abusive dad is a total lie. And I think Maggie says something about like, I'd rather die than have anything happen to my son. And Olivia's like, well, you're getting your wish because the state's going to kill you. So she lunges at Benson, who obviously disarms her immediately and has her (laughs) bent over the table within seconds, handcuffing her. This is a lot of um, erotic play for... Yeah, (laughs) it's a pretty sexual episode. Um, So Cabot has been able to connect Maggie um, through DNA to three other murders. And she's talking, she's explaining this to Wong and talking about whether uh, she's going to go for the death penalty, which would be the first time New York state has executed a woman. And Cabot feels based off the evidence that it's a death penalty case. Wong doesn't believe in capital punishment. I don't believe in capital punishment either. So I'm with Wong here on this. Wong doesn't believe that she's legally insane. He thought he thinks she knows what she was doing was wrong and she didn't care. And that he thinks also that she would kill again in a second. So in the next scene, Cabot is with Judge Elizabeth Donnelly. I'm sorry. Now she's not a judge, but she becomes a judge later. It's Jude's light. Judy, Judith light, our favorite. I love her. And they're returning from her um, presentation that she just made for the Capitol committee, which I guess is the committee of people who decide whether we're going to execute someone. Um, So Cabot has decided to go after the death penalty. And uh, Judith light is like ribbing her being like, it's funny because if you get your wish, you're going to be the enemy of feminism. And Cabot's like, I think this is a win for feminism. Maggie deserves a needle in the arm, just like any other cold-blooded killer, a man or, you know, anyone else. And then we hear the soft voice saying, so she should just take it like a man. Oh, shit. Diane Weist is here. D.A. <laughs> Nora Lewin. <laughs> Hopefully that didn't hurt everyone's ears, but I'm a huge Diane Weist fan. Yeah. She's so good in this one little scene. She's so like quiet and amazing. Like she's really, really good. She has been on, I associate her so much with law and order, but I think that's just because I used to watch a lot of more original recipe back in the day, but she was on 46 episodes of original law and order. And she's only been on two of SVU. So this one and one other one for me, she is practical magic in the birdcage. That's what I think about when I think of her. 
What, you've never seen those movies either? No, 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 no. I First of all, The Birdcage, I was trying to think who she is. She's married to Gene Hackman, right? Yes. She's the mother. Correct. And yeah. then I just watched Practical Magic over pandemic at Ren our friend Renee's house. And I think I would have been better if I had watched Practical Magic as a teen. Maybe, I mean, yeah. To watch it now as an adult, it, it did not hold up for me watching it now as an adult. But it was fun. It was a fun little romp. Well, because I sometimes I feel like my hairdos look like Stockard Channing in that movie. I'm always like, oh, I'm having a Stockard witch day. <laughs> and I also like when I'm in a town like that, I'm like, oh, this is a practical magic type yes. of town. Like I like Burlington, Vermont to me is like, OK, practical <laughs> magic vibes. Basically New England. Yeah. Yeah. But little, you know, yeah. Little New England. Well, you town. should come to my town where I grew up. You'll get some you'll get practical magic. Mm, yacht club vibes from my town no yeah no 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 <laughs> no no no. do not try to put connecticut into my practical magic fantasy i'm telling you there are practical magic towns in connecticut but maybe not mine i can't believe it didn't hold up for you you didn't like the dance with the margarita and the rib the frog spitting out the thing and the it's pancakes fun. It's just, it like was a cactus really, it was just wild to see these two actresses that are just so acclaimed now in this like very very like hokey movie about magic it's not hokey and it's not about magic it's about sisterhood and fulfilling your full potential and not being scared to be magical and don't fuck you know murderers yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but about it's about connection and family and being who you truly are okay i'm sorry and people trying to I'm shut down the powerful themes... women the themes did not strike to my heart the way that they did for you. Maybe we should rewatch it together. You know, at our friend's wedding, I mentioned Practical Magic in my speech. <laughs> I forgot that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I remember you what? crushing, but I was also extremely incapacitated at that point. Already? <laughs> I was pretty fucked up by dinner. But anyway, uh, I had to do the marriage ceremony. So by the time I got done, I was like, give me every drink that exists on this property. Oh, yeah. We both had really heavy lifting jobs. Yeah. So by the time your speech was happening, I was remember laughing so hard, but I could not tell you quotes. I could not. <laughs> no, like, I wouldn't need a quote. I wouldn't need a quote. <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not insane. OK, move on. What is Diane? Anyway, anyway, Diane Weiss has this like very, very like powerful conversation with them. Right. About the death. And this is like three women talking about the death penalty. And it's very interesting to me because um. Nora, that's uh, Diane Weiss' name. Her character's like, I don't like this. You think the first female we execute should be a single mom sex worker who's also a rape victim? And Cabot argues that being a victim of a violent crime does not mitigate capital punishment, uh, and neither does being a woman or a mother. Uh, and if this was a man who was abused as a child and then murdered four women, would we even be having this discussion? And Nora says, if you were seeking the death penalty, of course we would. She just has such a calm like but commanding way of speaking and then donnelly argues she's like i don't think we would be having that conversation if it was a male offender because that wouldn't offend the female constituents who put you in office and nora's ready with the comeback she's like who we choose to execute is always political i'm not going to kill anyone if there's a possibility they acted in self-defense you don't like it you can always run against me next term boom Boom, baby, shakalaka for sure. Boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, maybe it is different. I like I it's um, it's weird that 
equality is me. I don't know. I don't want, I actually don't have the brain capacity to talk about well, what I want to talk about. My thing is that almost there's almost never a serial killer or a, or a killer, a person responsible for multiple deaths who's going to be executed, who has not had a fully traumatic childhood and upbringing. I don't think that that's very common. And I think we need to consider that with every person that is being put to death, but that's why I don't believe in the death penalty. Like we just executed someone under Trump, this woman who had like truly one of the most horrific upbringings and lives. And she actually, her story is based on an, an SVU is based on her story. She did cut a baby out of a woman, murdered a woman and cut the baby out. That is a horrific crime. This woman was like beyond mentally uh, unstable. Like there were, her life was a string of traumas. I just don't think killing people like that is what we're supposed to be doing. But my opinion. Well, that's just our whole society. It's like dealing with the symptoms and not with the issues. Yeah. Because they all make money off capital punishments, I'm sure. Like, there's a reason the 45 administration was rushing to murder tons of people by the end. It's not just because of justice. Yeah, but doesn't it? It costs a lot of money to keep people on death row. And now, also, what if you invest in the injection? Like, I don't know. I don't yeah. trust any of these. There's. Just, it was just weird how many people they just wanted to kill at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's also been proven that it's not a deterrent to crime. So anyway, no, because if you're so fucked up, why? Like you don't have anything to live for. I mean, that's the whole thing where, um, yeah, when you don't have anything to live for, the death penalty means nothing. Exactly. So in court, the defense attorney for Maggie is um, cross examining an ER doctor that has treated Maggie. And she's just like reading out all of her um, in, in injuries. She's just like she had cheek lacerations and bruising. And then the next witness on the stand is Bertram's wife. And she testifies how violent her former husband was as well. And that one night the cops got there right on time because she thinks he would have raped or killed her. Um, and so. Then they have Maggie on the stand and she testifies that all the men that she has killed would have killed her. So like she was always acting in self-defense. And Cabot's like, why would you put yourself in harm's way when you, you, you say you do everything you do is for your son? Like, why would you have done this? And she's like, I assume the risk because I take I do everything for my child. And it's still like, OK, but you could get murdered every single day. And where who would that leave your child with? So um at the precinct, they're all uh, really panicking. Like uh, Donnelly is like, I can't believe you didn't know about the wife's testimony because it, it definitely makes her a more sympathetic uh, victim that this man's husband, uh, wife also said he beat up on her all the time and was a bad person that you could easily try to defend your life from. So uh, Liv is always doing the detail work. She figures out from a doctor's report uh, the doctor's report that they were talking about on the stand is from March of 2000. And that doctor's report says nothing about her being pregnant, but her son, Joey, judging by how old he is, would have been born the next month, April of 2000. So what's up? She wasn't pregnant in March of 2000. And then she's got a kid in April of 2000. Where did this kid come from? Twist baby. 18 months ago, a 26 year old woman went grocery shopping. Her body was found strangled in the store parking lot. Her six-month-old son was never found. Yeah, she just gets what she wants. Yeah. No matter so what. No one's going to buy your story now, babe, about how your son's the best thing you ever did and how you do everything for him. Yeah, it's a user. It's yeah. A, she's using him. It's like her alibi or like her story. Oh, my God. Totally. 
so she's like, where's Joey? Where's Joey? And Olivia's like back with his father who thought he was dead. You monster. So <laughs> like, it's really, we're getting a lot more beneath the surface of Maggie here. They offer her murder two on all counts, concurrent sentences. So 15 to 20 years, she'd be out probably in 15, especially someone manipulative like her. Like she'd probably get good time, good behavior or whatever. Yeah. But jail's filled with people like her. Yeah. That's but what's tough. <laughs> Cabot's basically like, you're never going to get a better deal than this, especially uh, what, like if I tack on the kidnapping and murder charge to this of the this Joey's mom. So she says, I didn't kill the mom. I found Joey. His mom threw him away. And Cabot's like, bitch, the jig is up. You need to stop. Like, we're not buying any of this. Then we're in court and Maggie has not shown up. And there's a very hilarious... Uh, what you don't call them extras background. He's not a background actor. A guy who's like an under five who's playing a bailiff is basically a robot. He calls downstairs and he's like, we're waiting for Maggie Peterson. And they're like, he goes, there's a problem. Anyway, if you watch the episode, you notice that this man is a full robot and Benson and Stabler go to check out what's going on with Maggie. Why has she's not shown up at court and done done. She has hung herself with her stockings in a very much sort of interesting not flashback, but like, you know, connection to the two other dead sex workers that we saw earlier who were like basically hung up after they were killed. She's hanging, um, but in a really, really weird way. Like she didn't get on a table and hang from the ceiling. She's like hanging from the bars of the cell. So she just, so the guy goes, she just sat down till she died. Like she just, the self-discipline, you have to kill yourself this way. Not self-discipline, but I don't know what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I mean? Like, to not, you could just stand up and keep breathing. And she just wasn't doing it. She just let herself die that way. And she left a note uh, leaving everything to Joey, her son. What does she have? She had, well, she had $10,000. Well, she had $10,000 in a safe deposit box. It's probably all stolen. I'm doubt he can even have that money. But then ben, Benson and Stabler kind of just look at her and Benson's like, look at her. Her hair and makeup looks perfect. She gets to go out like a beauty queen. Like this is all a performance. And like the final shot is just like a zoom in on her and she looks very beautiful. And even in death, she's kind of like no muss. Like her face is makeup is perfect and everything. And then that's Dick Wolf Baby. Thank you so much. An yeah. incredible episode. Yeah. Lots of twists and turns. And um, we'll be right back with a famous, famous crime. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you 
you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. So welcome back. All right. So this is so famous. Eileen Waros and I, Waros. Warnos. Warnos. Eileen Warnos. Both names are hard to spell and say. <laughs> um, it's like, um, grew up in such a small place. It's like, can't you just be Stacy? Um, <laughs> but I have not seen the movie Monster or Boys Don't Cry. I don't know. Those like tough, tough women Oscar role movies. Really? I can't watch them. It's too tough. It's too yeah. hard for me. I, I've seen it, but not for a while. So I'm 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 looking forward to getting the recap on this. And I, and, you know, I was doing a lot of research. So I saw Roger Ebert was like, Charlize, this is the best performance of all time. But there's been documentaries. Um, this was a really famous case. So I tried to do some research that maybe brought some new things to light, some information. Um, and, you know, our first episode we ever did, my friend called me out that I was totally on Leona Hemsley's side. And it's like, everyone could tell. And I do feel like, <laughs> listen, I'm on Eileen's side here. I don't know what to tell you. And it is fucked up. And that's why in the episode where you're like, well, equality, men, women. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's about, um, valuing each other. It's not, we're not all the same. And I do feel worse for her than any other criminal we've ever talked about. I don't care. I don't mm -hmm. know what to tell you. I'm you know, I'm not in the court of law. I'm not a bar exam grader. <laughs> I just really feel for this bitch and um, I'm on her side, so I don't care. <laughs> um, and but there's a debate and there we don't really know what is true. What is not? Is she America's first female serial killer or is she just like this feminist hero who had to murder in self-defense? So we don't know if it's like evil genius or she was really, um, you know. Fucked up life. Obviously, fucked up life. Horrible childhood. Warnos grew up in Troy, Michigan. Her mother abandoned her as an infant, and her biological father was a wife beater and a pedophile. Her dad committed suicide by hanging while in prison for serving time for child molestation. So already, not good news. I mean, we're three sentences in, and it's like, this is yeah. enough. But it's not. It's there's more. Like, no. yeah, there's more. Um, it's like the price is right, but the opposite. It's like sad instead of woohoo, like, you know, a trip to Italy. Um, so she was beaten by her adoptive father, who she didn't really know, but was her biological grandfather. He was her father's father. I don't know whose father he was, but the grandfather was her adoptive father. So I don't know if the father, this grandfather was fucking or his daughter. And pretending to be the uh, Eileen's father or grandfather. It's like, um, it's oh, too white God. trash for me to fully grasp. Okay. But there's just a lot of um, incest. <laughs> I don't know. There's <laughs> just like a lot of problems. But yeah, so the person who thought, she, the, who she thought was just her adoptive father, like a stepfather type of character, was really her biological grandfather. So that's just that. Um, she lived in the woods. And she would give sexual favors to men and she had to sell sex for food and beer and money. So she was actually from age nine trading blowjobs for cigarettes. And when oh, you think yeah. about this, it's like, 
Okay. I mean, it's all fucked up, but if it's like a bunch of 11 year olds buying blowjobs, it's like, okay, we're all um, fucked up kids. But I am assuming these are men from the neighborhood getting serviced by a nine year old. Yes. What the fuck? A whole town of these people. Yeah. And that is why it's so annoying when women aren't believed or people aren't believed or people don't under. It's like a whole town was fucking getting blowjobs from a nine year old. Yeah. Oh, that's so awful. So basically, you got, I mean, this is a famous case. She eventually did get the death penalty. And um, then her defense attorneys brought up all of these people from her past to like show what a terrible life she had and that it was self-defense and stuff like that. So um, a bunch of men took the stand and were talking about all the awful things that they'd done to her. And one man said that he would fuck her, but then in public would ignore her, call her awful names, throw rocks at her, tell her to go home. And cause he didn't want to be seen or associated with her, but in private they would fuck. And he was a young kid too. I mean, he looked guilt. Like these people that took the stand look guilty. Her friends took the stand, like all of these people. And she was like, fuck this. They're all lying. None of this happened. Go. I hate all of you, but it is just like a whole town. And one of the women was like, every single person in this town knew what was happening. No one fucking helped her. No one cares. And now everyone's like, oh no, I used to bring her food. Oh, I remember I was nice to her. And it's like, no one was fucking nice to her. Right. So it's like this whole town loved ragging on this abused child. And then now we're all like, oh, maybe we did something wrong. Yeah. Fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Like one of the friends that took the stand, she said that this grandfather dad situation, he bent her. They got home and he bent her over a chair and beat her for five minutes straight with a leather belt. And like while her friend just watched. Like it was a really horrific life. She was pregnant and 13 and was forced to give up her child for adoption. She was raped several times constantly, but also like every time she committed any sort of like sex work as a child is a rape, you know, it's like yes, she, of course. constant rape. Yeah. She was living in forts. She had frostbite. Um, and then at 15, 16, she just hit the road and sold sex along the way. She lived in motels and rented rooms and lived on the streets. And, and this is what we're talking about. Like she didn't look for the future. Like for her, if she just, had enough money for a couple days she was rolling in the dough Mm -hmm. and so we're talking about a person who only is thinking two three days in advance and that's what happens to a lot of like i remember i forgot who was speaking but it happens to a lot of like teens and stuff in the hood where like they don't see their lives past 20 because no one else around it they just see so much death so it's like to then encourage these people like go to school you have a future there's things happening it's like they don't have that perspective they um, can only think about survival she became a florida drifter so this is in florida now she learned her living as a sex worker along the highway and so the murder the crimes this kind of tale starts in the winter of 1989 slash like 1990 ish But I just want to reiterate again, like no one ever helped her. No, like while she was getting beaten, no social worker, no teacher, no neighbor, no police officer, no one helped her. She slept in the snow. No one helped her. She was getting cigarettes and drinking and smoking and like, you know, teen sex worker. No one ever cared. No options. The school, like she stopped going to school. No one from the school reached out to anyone to be like, why is this child not at school? Like truly no one fucking cared about her. It's really fucked. Um, She was married, divorced within months. Um, She beat her wealthy husband and he took out a restraining order against her um she was arrested a ton for petty bullshit so she was arrested for like duis shooting guns into the air while driving drunk (laughs) that's fun she sounds kind of fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Um, hitting a bartender, speeding, resisting arrest, assaulting men, phony checks, holding up a convenience store. And she hit a lot of her boyfriends. So that is, um, her life. Um, she got written up a lot in jail too. So she would start fights and like a lot of uncooperative behavior. So basically like that, you know, a life of petty crime. And then a bunch of adult white men started disappearing one by one and it got a lot of attention. And obviously, and this has been in the news recently. Um, but like if this was a bunch of women of color disappearing or a bunch of sex workers, no one would really care. You know, if male yeah. Johns were killing a bunch of female sex workers, no one would care or trans sex workers or whatever. Um, so in uh, late 1989, she killed one of the men who picked her up and then killed seven more guys. So the first victim was Richard Charles Mallory. Um, and that happened November 30th, 1989. And he was shot several times and the two bullets in his left lung are what caused the death. And I'm just going to say the victim's names to be respectful. So I'm just going to go through that um, because, you know, I'm on her side. So it's like tough, but we will be respectful to these men. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> this is so fucked up of me. Okay. So then, um, David Andrew Spears was the second victim and he was declared missing May 19th, 1990 and was found on June 1st. He was shot six times. Charles Edmund Carskadon was a part-time rodeo worker, which is pretty fun. And he was shot nine times. Peter Abraham seems was 65 and his body was never found, but her prints were found inside of his car. But for me, it's like no body, no crime. Sorry. Um, I mean, right. That's how Casey Anthony got away with it. If you can't, what do you mean? No body, no crime. That's, that's, that's why you get rid of the body. Um, Troy Eugene Burris, aged 50. He was reported missing July, 1990. And then his body was found August 4th, 1990. And he was shot twice. Charles Richard, AKA Dick Humphreys, aged 56. His body was found on September 12th, 1990, fully clothed. And he was shot six times. And finally, her last victim was Walter Gino Antonio. And his body was found November 19th, 1990, naked and near a remote logging road. And he was shot four times. So a psychologist who spent a lot of time with her is Phyllis Chesler. And she wrote a groundbreaking book called Women in Madness um, in 1972 about how the mental health system treats women and calls them crazy when they just didn't want to do housework or like if they were lesbians. And then going back about this first, the first victim, though, like, you know, because that's the whole thing. Was this self-defense? Is she a killer? But her first victim, this Richard Mallory guy, he had done time in an institution for attempted rape in the past. And he was a violent person. She and so it but then she changes her mind a lot, too. She initially said that the killings were in self-defense after they assaulted her, after they picked her up. But later she said that was a lie and she was intending to rob and kill these men. Um, and people don't know if she did that because she was just over it and wanted to get executed um or she I, no one actually knows and there's hours of footage i mean i'm sure it was like an amazing like sense of control after being abused by men for decades to be able to just you know have the upper hand yeah it's probably like the what bd wong mentioned in the episode about like the you know you've been raped so much that any sort of thing can trigger a trauma response mm -hmm. but um yeah all right so and at the end of the day, she was really frustrated and pissed how much violence came from her job, both from the Johns and law enforcement. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, 
the patriarchy or like hetero culture wants to sexualize women. But as soon as women are sexual beings or sexual, they, then they also get beat. And it's like, yeah. what, what, what do you all want? You know what I mean? It's so fucked up. And then like to also um, get violence from these people using your services and the people that are supposed to help you. Or I don't know. It's just not a friend in sight, not a friend in sight for Eileen. It's so upsetting. Yeah. So she was arrested at the last resort bar in Port Orange, Florida in January 1991 on an outstanding charge of carrying a concealed weapon. And that led to a charge of murder. I thought it was just Tyra. Why did it switch it to Tyria? (laughs) I think her name was just Tyra. So Tyra Moore, who was her lover, who was like Christina Ricci in the movie, spoke to her by phone in front of police and elicited a confession to the murders. Oh, my God. So her girlfriend sold her out? Sold her out and oh. sold her out on the stand, like testified a fucking against her. So her one love in her life fucking sold her out. She was tricked into confessing by her lover without a lawyer present. And, you know, we watch SVU. We know it is wrong <laughs> to do. That. Yeah. And she did say that the killings were self-defense 16 times during the questioning and everything. And the jury never was told this. Someone had edited out that from the video that was shown to the jury. What? So they showed like her confessing all this shit, but took out the parts where she said 16 times that it was self-defense. Um, the first victim's violent past wasn't brought up at trial. I mean, the trial was fucked too. We're going to like, it's truly not a friend in sight for this person. Cause even the people that worked with her and psychologists and like the journalists who came to talk to her and help her and like anyone, they all wanted something from her. Everyone sold the story. Everyone tried to get movie deals. Everyone, everyone was using her. No, truly not one person oh in her corner. God. This is fucked. So the prosecutor is this guy named John Tanner, and he is this like born again Christian guy. He visited Ted Bundy 50 times to pray with him and pray and like, you know, do all this stuff with him. And it's so strange because he was fighting to have Eileen killed. He was fighting. I don't think that's that strange. Yeah, because he hated sex workers. I think that fucking tracks perfectly with these kind of people. These are the same people that don't think women should have abortions because they want to fight for a baby that's not been born, but they don't want to help women with their health care in any other way. Yeah. So it's like, what's the difference between Ted and Eileen? And it's he hated sex workers. So it's this Christian thing. But like 50 times he visited Ted Bundy, who had so many more victims. And he was like the number one person who wanted Eileen fucking executed. Tons of right wing Christians were fighting to have her executed. Beyond me. Yeah. Beyond me. I mean, that's like, uh, religion, right wing Christians fighting to have her executed. Um, in a documentary from 2003, there's a footage of her in an orange jumpsuit and she's giving an interview and she's like, this is all ladder jumping during the election season. And everyone is just trying to get attention for their campaigns. And she's not wrong. And that's that. And this, the prosecutor was also a longtime friend and colleague of the presiding judge. Hmm. Again, I'm not trying to defend a murderer, but I don't I don't think she should have been sentenced to death. I don't. I really don't. I do not believe that for a second. And, you know, I'm going to keep up with this Bundy comparison just to, like, prove how unfair a lot of this stuff was. Yeah. But like his legal team asked to change locations of the trial because of all the publicity. And that was granted. And she asked for the same thing. It was not granted. Um, The trial was over in five days. 
The jury voted guilty in an hour and a half, and they recommended the death sentence in an hour and 48 minutes. For wow. Bundy, it was um, seven and a half hours to decide death, but he was also offered a sentence of life with no parole. Warnos was not. She wasn't even offered a life sentence. Yeah. So between 1976 and 2016, 16 American women were executed and most often for killing one or two people. Whereas during the same time, 17 American male killers who killed between 14 and 100 women were given less severe sentences and only five of them were executed. Whoa. That's those statistics are fucked. Yeah, we hate women. Women cannot do anything. It's like, it, it, and that's the Diane Weiss of it all and all of this. It's like, what are we fighting for with feminism when it's like, we, we want more killers, but it's like, no, but even when there are these crimes, it's like, it's not, I, it's yeah. not even fair. Yeah. So life in prison was just never offered to her. And everyone, like I mentioned, involved in the case was trying to sell the story and make money of her life. Um, she was tr- surrounded by terrible scum. Um, so she also had a lawyer named Steve who lived in a teepee who took money from interviews he had set up for her. So he was like taking a cut and acting like an agent to like make money off people being interviewed. And he's the one who pled guilty for her. And the lawyer who took her at her word when she said she wanted to die, he visited her in jail after smoking seven joints. So there was like this documentary that followed all this stuff. It is really wild because it's like, wait, what? But this is all on camera. This guy was just like high as hell heading over to court to be like, yeah, she wanted to be put to death. (laughs) Like it's my God. It's very strange. Um, The doc that came out at the time is called uh, selling of a serial killer. And it showed footage of this hippie lawyer getting high and just fucking her life up. No trials no nothing so the police involved had to give a press conference and apologize for trying to give information to make hollywood movies like the police were taping conversations (laughs) and the point is so they got in trouble for like trying to sell information and fucking with the case. So maybe like one of her death sentences can be overturned or a mistrial or something since the cops are recording conversations and selling them. Um, Nope, nothing. Not one thing um, got overturned. Everything was swept under the rug and got covered up. Oh my God. There was a lot of tabloid buzz, obviously, and attention, and people were rude and called her a man-hating lesbian killer. But men kill women all the time. And why don't we ever call them women haters? Yeah. Why doesn't I don't understand if you're a feminist in any capacity. It's like man hater, man hater. Why don't we ever get to call like why is that not in the zeitgeist of like women hater? Why yeah. is Ted Bundy not a woman hater? Yeah. That's so you true. Know, it's I never thought about that. That's like, a great question. Because I had a tr- I had an issue. I ran into a, an issue at a comedy club that I frequent where she was like, your man, the booker said my man hating material needed to stop. And my man hating material was that men should make women come more. So evil. <laughs> um, and, you know, looking around, it's like there was a dude who was doing jokes about how countries that beat women have better tasting food. And I'm not saying if the joke was funny or not. I don't think this person is a, a woman beater. Yeah. But how is that not a woman hating joke? Right, right, right. Like, it's just it, not that's just not part of the lexicon to be a no. woman hater. Man hating is a thing that men have created. 
Yeah. And, and we talk about this a lot with the Violence Against Women Act, where it's like, why isn't men committing violence? It's like always violent. It's always passive. It's like, who's committing all these crimes against women? Yeah. But from now on, it's like we all have to make it our mission that anytime there's an Abel Castro or any of these fucking lunatics that attack, they're women haters. Yeah. We just are like, oh, they're mentally diseased. Oh, these school shooter. Oh, poor them. And it's like, yeah, no, that guy in Atlanta was a woman hater. Yes. You know, it's so, but yeah, people were just like, oh, this fucking lesbian kill her. Right. Also, male serial killers are often very glorified and movies are made about them and they have fans. And for her, it was just like, you're a monster and a bad person. <laughs> it's like, yeah. they're just putting us in such a weird place where we're fighting for the rights of a cold blooded killer, maybe. But I don't think, I don't know. I don't think that. <sighs> there are just different standards for women and men and men are expected to be violent. And we, as a culture, minimize and deny male violence. Like he's under a lot of pressure. He's in therapy. He's working on himself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he wouldn't do that. But we also blame women for male violence where it's like, why did she stay? She likes it rough. She provoked him. What did, what, you know, cause I remember a lot of people still to this day. It's like, well, what did Rihanna do? What did Rihanna do? Yeah. Ugh. And obviously there is a debate about whether it was self-defense or was she an aggressive killer, but it shows that women's self-defense is consistently confused for female aggression. And it reflects in the sentencing. According to the 1990 Florida State Supreme Court gender bias report, the year Warnos was, you know, killing women in Florida were treated more harshly than similarly crimed male offenders. Well, it's kind of like we talked about this in the Nix Marie Brown case where her husband was the one who murdered this little girl but she got a longer sentence because there's a thing about what you're a mother you're a woman like why didn't you protect your child and or like women are supposed to be good people or something and i i mean yeah. this just reminds me i mean i know she wasn't a mom eileen mornos but like you know there's just for some reason women get punished because it's like you're supposed to be good. So you doing this bad thing, men are expected to do shitty stuff. Yeah. And it's not just in the criminal world. I mean, I think for parenting and stuff too, as a mom, you could truly do everything and it's never enough. And a guy, if you just hold a baby at a party, people are like, Oh my God, this yeah. father of the year, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's not fair. Okay. Yeah. Um, men in jail and prison have greater access to libraries, educational and rehab programs, gyms, and are more conveniently located. Like closer for family visits. So when she did appear in court, she she I mean, she's a badass bitch. So she didn't hesitate to tell the judge and jury exactly what she thought of them. She swore <laughs> a lot. I mean, she was a rude person, you know, like she wasn't soft and cuddly. Yeah. OK. And why would she be? What has the world taught her? Anyone right. that you trust is going to fucking beat you, take advantage of you, rape you. The University of Rhode Island had an academic thing I called, I don't know, a journal, whatever. And it was called Dignity, a Journal of Analysis of Exploitation and Violence. And it's by Phyllis Chesler, who's a professor of psychology at CUNY. Um, and I mentioned her above. She has a book. She's had decades of experience and she worked very closely with her. Like, um, I'll talk about it, but she spent a lot of time with Eileen. Um and so in the journal, I got a lot of information. And so there are so many male criminals and they often get plea bargained since there's overcrowding in jails. But since there are less female criminals, there is no need to save space or because of fear of overcrowding oh, or anything. Wow. So there's less motivation to plea bargain with women. So women end up serving longer sentences in worse facilities. Wow. I never thought about that. 
I didn't either. That's why you got to get these academic journals out. I mean, I truly felt like I was at, you know, in college. Well, I went to a Christian college, so I didn't actually have to do work. Um, (laughs) You could just be like, listen, Noah said this and that's that. Okay. Um, But yeah, I never thought about it too. Um, Everything is selfish. So like, there's no need to plea bargain anything. There's like space for all the women criminals. And that's why men get like deals. Um, the same psychologist, Chesler, she drove down there a lot. Um, no one would call her back. Um, she was this feminist. She was a journalist and she could have been a potential witness. She tried to be an organizer. She believes the trauma and violence she dealt with affected her in these crimes and not excused, but explained. Um, but she was met with resistance in all ways. Like no one let her help. She spent a lot of time with Eileen, um, got a lot of scoop from her, but she legit got together a pro bono team of experts to testify about violence against prostitutes and the rights to defend herself and address the complex post-traumatic stress from being a sex worker, none of them were called. So her legal team wouldn't call any of these people, even though... Oh no. So this woman put together this pro bono like set of experts that were never called to trial at all. And also Eileen refused an insanity defense. I don't know if that would have helped her or not. And like I said earlier, just to reiterate how alone this woman was, her lesbian lover testified against her. Yeah. Um, Eileen kind of broke down and cried in court as they played the tapes of her getting a confession out on tape. So they were like playing Tyra's shit. And like, you can see Eileen start crying. So sad. Um, But Tyra was bad news and knew all about all the murders and was never charged for anything and was a state's witness and was part of the movie deal package money. So Eileen was sentenced to death and just kept getting more death sentences attached to her. And um, just watching the judge sentence someone to death was hard to watch. Yeah. It's sick. Um, It's sick. And it's really disgusting. Um, I saw one video where after she was sentenced again with this like Steve lawyer guy who didn't know what he was doing, um, she started saying how she will be in heaven while they all rot in hell. And she looks at what I think is the prosecution and says, I hope your daughter and wife get raped in the ass. I was raped and you are nothing but a bunch of scum putting someone that was raped to death. You motherfuckers. Wow. She spoke her mind. Yeah. She finally dropped all her appeals and fired her lawyers. Um, The psychiatrist concluded that she was competent to choose execution Uh, She met up and did another interview with a documentary for the same guy that did the selling of a serial killer documentary in 2003. He made another one in 2003 called life and death of a serial killer. And they see each other in court and she says she wants to talk to him. So she says the chances to overturn death penalty are like super small and mostly the ones that get changed have DNA. So, you know, she's like, I'm going to die. I don't want to die a liar. She confesses that it was not self-defense that she killed them in cold blood, but not for the thrill like most serial killers but for survival and robbing them and eliminating a witness. Wow. She said, sorry about it, but the world is evil. We are all evil. And my evil came out because of substances of what I was doing, being homeless, hooking and hitchhiking. She also said she still missed Tyra and loved her. Yeah. And she said that she's uh, sorry for all the other people that lost their loved ones. And she's sorry. She said all the self-defense stuff wasn't true. But like I said, is that so she could just be executed and die? Or is that really the truth? Um, She was executed in October 2002 by lethal injection. 
Wuornos was 46th and it was the 10th woman executed in the U.S. Her final statement was, I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th, just like the movie, Big Mothership and all. I'll be back. Wow. She asked to be cremated with her Bible and for Natalie Merchant's song Carnival uh, be played at her wake. And weirdly, the bar she got arrested in, the last resort bar, that was where her last night of freedom was. They have like a large painting with her and like it has all the names of the men she killed and a framed photo of her. And it's kind of like, wow, a true crime destination of sorts. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, it's so fucked up, the story. Um, It is. And maybe I'll watch the movie, but like these, it's just too sad. And I don't think any, I don't know. Maybe the guys are fine. I bet they were bad people. Yeah. And I think I wish that all the people in her town can go to jail. I wish all those people that took the stand and admitted to getting blowjobs from her when she was nine years old, like death to them all. Yeah. And this happens constantly. And for some reason, we have like empathy for men that go through abuse and not women that are just constantly fucking raped for decades. It's really. Yeah. So it's really fucked. I mean, no one is is suggesting that she be like let out to live her life freely, but she could have been, you know, she could have maybe, you know, had some kind of rehabilitation in jail and been able to. Just been in jail. Fine. Because she also. She hated being in um, isolation. I mean, it's like if she could be in mass pop first, like Mm -hmm. death row, it's like more intense. She could have found like a lover and a friend in jail and been living. I don't know. Yeah. But. Well, it's upsetting. We do, as usual, have a great palate (laughs) cleanser of a guest for you. So don't go anywhere. All right. Today's guest is an icon. Honestly, she has been nominated for four primetime Emmys. She's been on Broadway as Sally Bowles and Velma Kelly, iconic roles. On TV, you've seen her on Grey's Anatomy, Shameless, Desperate Housewives, On Becoming a God in Central Florida. And most famously, she played Sylvia Costa Sipowitz on NYPD Blue. But today, you know her as the cocktail personality baby, Maggie Peterson. Guys. Get into our talk with Sharon Lawrence. So this is an iconic episode, one of our favorites. Um, When you got the script, you read about it and the character. Were you very jazzed, excited? How did you? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, I I was playing mostly good women. So it was fun to that's since changed. (laughs) I play a lot more (laughs) bad women than good women now. And I don't know whether that's because of SVU and the success of that character or just the way things uh, happen as you evolve in the, the canon of women in television. But at that point, it was it was a nice stretch for me. And when I when I read the script, it was a, a mystery to me how anyone could actually that kind of character could could be based on something that's real. But at the time, uh, I was, let's see, when was this filmed? 2002, I think. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so I was already married to my husband, who's a psychiatrist. And he let me know that this chameleon, the cocktail personality, I should say, 
the episode is called Chameleon, but the, but as um, B.D. Wong's character talks about, it's a cocktail personality. They change in accordance to what they recognize will give them an advantage with whoever it is you're talking to. So, you know, to, to me, that that just sounds like somebody in Hollywood. But actually, <laughs> it's a, so true. It's a, it's a real psychi- psychiatric phenomenon. It's not a diagnosis, but it is a phenomenon. That, so that's so interesting. Your husband must have helped you a little bit. Did he help you a little bit? Like get like telling you about that whole. Well, he just, le- he just made it legit for me. And that's, that's what I needed. Uh, the mania. And uh, all I needed was for him to say that's real. And I could buy in and, wow. and do the work to make it happen in a real way for me first. And hopefully for, for the audience on stage and for the lens on a camera. Yeah. Wow. You have like your own in-house Dr. Huang. That's so exciting. Yes, indeed I do. Yeah. Can we ask you, we were, we were obviously researching you before we uh, got on this call with you and there's an unsighted piece of information on your Wikipedia that says that you got married to your husband in the same church that your NYPD blue character got married to Dennis Franz. Is that true? Cause it says citation needed. <laughs> well, let me get on there and cite that right now because <laughs> ding, ding, ding. It's true. <laughs> Yay. Wow. When I met my husband, he's Greek. Um, the, the church that I belonged to back in my home state of North Carolina was no longer my church. When he said, would you be opposed to getting married in the Greek church? And I said, well, honey, I've already done that. And I had to explain to him (laughs) what I meant by it. And of course it was, it was an easy yes for me because I knew how beautiful this place was. We, so what, what my concern was, was would it feel like I had done it before, but we did have the same priest, the priest who married who who appeared you know, in the background of NYPD Blue was the same priest. He's a real priest, Father John Backus, and he's who married Tom and I. Oh, that is so funny. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to get on Wikipedia and clear that right up because yeah. it is all true. That's amazing. I do have some more NYPD Blue. I, do you keep in touch with Garcelle? We're big Real Housewives people. Um, have you been watching Real Housewives? Any information <laughs> that you can give no, us? No, I don't. I, do, I don't watch a lot of reality TV. Not not really my thing. Um, I Garcelle and I have seen each other at events, and I I love her. She's a great gal. She's so charming and and you know she she was a you know a bright light on the show we didn't ever really cross paths but i certainly watched her on it and she's got a great vibe just a great energy yeah no she does on the show we too. love her we really have to bring up that you played velma kelly in broadway on mm, in yes. chicago which yes. is like one of our favorite of all yeah. time musicals and that's wow like yeah. and I want to know what that was like, but I also want to know if you challenged any of that femme fatale energy channeled uh, any of that femme fatale energy into I'll your say, chameleon I'll show role. you I'll, I'll, rather than, yes. than tell you, I'll show you. Wow. Oh, wow, baby. Oh yes. Yeah. That looks amazing. Yeah. Smoke show. That's a wow. bad girl. So I wore the black wig, as you can tell, I had to, I, can't, I yeah. couldn't play Velma without it. Yeah, you can, you have more of Roxy hair in real life. Yeah, right. I couldn't I couldn't smoke uh, in real <laughs> life, you know, but I could smoke on this, and uh, <laughs> I had a great time. Yeah, you know, it's um, 
it's always an honor to step into a classic show. You know, it's, it's great to create a show, but, but to, to step into a show that's already so iconic, uh, it means they trust you. Um, just to, uh, get back a little bit to the SVU episode, we obviously need to talk about the scene where you are basically straddling Christopher Maloney. I mean, like how, Mm -hmm. how was that? Our listeners (laughs) are going to need to hear the details. (laughs) You know, you said, uh, that came so easily to me because I'm a dancer and (laughs) I, I, yeah, I have no compunction about, listen, in, in Chicago, we were straddling the audience, basically, <laughs> especially the front row, because in the sh- in the song he had it coming, uh, we are the cell black tango uh, is is the, the proper name for the dance yeah. and the song. Uh, we we are uh, all using our power zones, right? Sometimes, it, and power zones come in many many versions of the female body and the female presence, and. One of those power zones is to not be afraid of your groin area of that area that is that scares a lot of men. So uh, it, and, and in that scene, if you watch closely when he leaves what you, and, and not maybe until he leaves, do you notice or when they pull back right before he leaves that her leg is between his legs that I put my leg between his legs. So it was more, it was, it was a threat as much as a come on. And, uh, I pretty sure that was me because I know they said, just feel free as you're, as you're blocking this, as you're, you're, uh, plotting this out to come around the table and, and Chris was game. Um, but I did make that choice because he was he was sitting with his legs apart for the same reason. That yeah. legs apart stance is classic in, in in the animal kingdom when when they are taking their ground, right? And uh, he, his legs were already apart on the chair, so I planted mine, and it was a great moment for us to find that who's dominant. I not only was above him. But when my leg was between his, he's vulnerable. Right. Wow. The other, you know, the ending of the episode with you hanging in your jail cell. um, Mm -hmm. Pretty wild. Uh, And that was you. That wasn't like a a dummy situation. Yeah, yeah. And it was me that had the fight with Mariska, which was really fun. Because, again, we we, we were in acting class together, Larry Moss's class. And it was really fun to get that physical with her and for us to... To, because you know we we've hung out and to to have that that playful moment um, because it, it does feel like play and it's rare that women get to do that women of our age get to do that you know and then the scene in the jail cell the scene the scene was very simple for me they I was actually seated on something right so I wasn't stressed on my neck. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the hair and makeup was beautiful. I think I'd already done the courtroom scene, which those courtroom scenes are their own challenge. Uh, just the, 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 the length of hours, the, the fact that you are, t- um, not able to move as much. Your energy doesn't get to move as much because you're in the, uh, in that witness stand. But, uh, by the time we shut that 
you know, I had pretty much my, my work was done. I know you were an ADA and NYPD blue. Um, were you like uh, sizing up Stephanie March? Was there like uh, ADA competitive games? <laughs> She's so good. She's yeah. so good. And, and the and, and they get to do so much more ADA work than I ever did on NYPD, but it was very rare that the, that they really, that cases really went that far because it was about the cops and yeah. Sylvia became about the romance much more than about the system, the judicial system. Um, what I also loved seeing was Judith light because uh, Judith and I did yes. a musical together. We did company together and I'm, wow. I'm such a fan of hers and, and love what she stands for and how she, she uses her platform, you know, way back in the day for the AIDS ride. Um, she and her husband have, have been such a great um, source of, of advocacy for many causes, but what she's done for the gay community um, is just, it's, it's remarkable. And yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah. 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 And then and Diane Weiss too is oh, she's yeah. theater, legend. She's a the, she is a legend. She's a theater legend and a screen legend. And I love that they use the women in that show to talk about the politicization of cases about women, as particularly capital cases that involve women. It was it was a really smart twist. And the writers, right? You know, Tara Butters and Michelle Ferrosi, those those women who recognized that this is more than just a case that's salacious. It's a case about how do we balance justice? Well, uh, we we went on your Instagram and you are shooting um, Christmas House 2. And two of your co-stars are SVU alum. And I don't know if you knew that or not, but we got excited. Treat Williams and Jonathan Bennett were both in SVU episodes. So that was like a jam-packed photo we saw. Did you guys ever chat about your SVUs? No, but I'm going to get on our family text right now. Okay, <laughs> yes. I knew it doesn't surprise me. Treat did because Treat's a, a New York based guy, so of course he did. He might have done it more than once, but I didn't know Jonathan. Good for him. Yeah, he was when in he high was school. Younger. He had a relation. Huh? He had some relations with a stepmother. It was um, a wild episode. Ooh, ooh. Okay. Oh my gosh, oh, Sharon so Lauren. Cool. What a nice lady. People are cool. She's also, I wish you guys could, I wish we could tape our interviews sometimes with, with visuals because she's so gorgeous. She looks like the same as she did on NYPD blue, like 20 years ago. It's wild. And you can catch her beautiful mug in the drama series, Joe Pickett coming to spectrum this winter. And she's going to be in the Christmas house to deck those halls on Hallmark on December 18th. If you need a little Christmas movie in your life and She's on that with Treat Williams, another SVU alum, Jonathan Bennett, another SVU alum. It's like jam packed. And I love talking to people where you can tell they love their job. They're grateful for their lives and they're just like on the fucking ride and enjoying it. Yeah. And some love. You know, she just really she has it all for me. And we were able to confirm a citation needed from Wikipedia. I mean, that's that's a dream. We got to get in there and like put our like link to our episode as the confirmation um, that she got married in the same church as her character. So fun. No, we're very cool. Anytime (laughs) I like start thinking about um, our lives and who we've talked to, I'm like, damn, just talented (laughs) people everywhere. Such a blessing. But in today's postmortem, we probably learned that the world is sexist against the patriarchy sucks. (laughs) 
we got we have to we're gonna eventually have to change what this little segment is called because what we learn every week is the world is endless horrors everyone yeah. hates women and the, the, there's nothing good in the world <laughs> and that's what we learn you're just you know kidnapping babies hanging yourself at the prison and that's life well okay? yeah but i mean i do think the story of eileen mornos is like really uh, is really tough and i i mean i know everybody like you know everybody knows about it from monster the charlie's movie and stuff and the oscar buzz but if you really think about it it's like this was a person who had a really really traumatic upbringing and yes she committed some crimes but it seems like a lot of her crimes were in self-defense i don't know uh i just feel like if i think what we learn time and time again is that if sex work was to come out from the shadows more we could protect sex workers more Absolutely. And I think this kind of touches back on what we're talking about with the train attack in Pennsylvania recently, where it's like, you knew this child was prostituting herself for cigarettes, you know, and food and that her grandfather slash dad, whatever, was beating the shit out of her. Like the community knew and did nothing. Yeah. And we've um, talked about cases before where people know this house is weird. They don't see the kids except they're marching at night. And it's like, save those kids. What the fuck? You see this child who has nothing. But I bet that community, the whole community was poor. Yeah. If she's living in the woods. Like maybe they don't have. But, you know, you hear these stories of like, yeah, my family took in the, our friend because their parents sucked and you hear about yeah. these things and it's like be that person be the parents that take in a child of need and fucking help them if you have the means it's just yeah it's it used to be like it takes a village community like all working together and it's just becomes such an individualistic my nuclear family is all that matters vibes and it's it's just disappointing yeah. and I don't understand why we don't help each other yeah we do we do have to help each other more for sure and just the laws like i didn't re i didn't really realize you know it's just upsetting that she wasn't even offered to be in prison like she had to die yeah. like it is it's sick i think we learned that christians are you know this guy i won't say I, i'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i don't need to generalize but no but i think everybody needs i mean i i do think we need to take uh we need a referendum on capital punishment in this country because it's just really not it's not the answer it doesn't deter it doesn't do the things we think it's gonna do and i i think that it's uh it's not the right way yeah it reminds me of yosemite sam style government <laughs> you know it's like why are we taking clues from like a little cartoon guy? Yeah. And that's what I feel. It's just a bunch of Yosemite Sam's running around being like, let's shoot them all up. And it's just the women hating man. Hate. It's just. um, Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and why are expert witnesses not being called? You know, our judges just like having so much bias. What's up with the juries? How? Why didn't we move the trial? It's like everything is so deep and layered and there's so many elements. And yeah. Well, and we also learned about the cocktail personality, which may or may not be real, but that it is real, I guess, because Sharon told us her husband knew about it. I just couldn't find anything about it specifically because it's been flooded on the Internet with what your cocktail quiz is about your personality, See, like Cosmo. I'm lucky because my therapist isn't really a therapist. She's kind of a witch doctor, so we don't talk about any <laughs> diagnoses. You're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just doing tarot with my yeah, therapist. But I think it's, uh, I think a good postmortem takeaway is like, look out for people that have that. Like, look out for people that are telling you what you want to hear. But, and like, then they tell the next person what they want to hear. Like, just like, beware of those people because they're charming as fuck, but they are narcissists and 
they'll fuck you in the end or kill you. And in comedy, well, so we have a friend who works in higher education and she did confirm that professors are more insane than comedians. So that's been nice. And then someone that works with comedians told me, uh, she goes, that's horrifying that there's a group of people worse than comedians. And I go, that's not the takeaway I got from this. Um, <laughs> but um, I do think in our line of work, we deal with a lot, I guess all lines of we deal with a lot of mental illness and we need to like take stock sometimes of how many psychopaths we are around at yeah. all times. And it does affect us. But you're right. There's just like calculating people. They act different with different people. They want to. I mean, and it takes a while to learn. I feel like you have to get burned time and time again before you like yeah. figure it out. Because Yeah. Or who to trust. But I think we deal with a lot of shady people. Yeah. In show business, kid. But I guess, you know, in higher education, too. Yeah. True, true, true. Don't trust anyone. But there's that book. One in four people are sociopath, like the sociopath next door. Oh, really? Yeah. I think the theory is like one in four people. Damn. Uh, and so then it's like, you know, you have to like think about that when you're dealing with someone. If like your boss is purposely fucking you all the time, it's like, oh, that might be a sociopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my friend, like we have a friend who's... um got a a stepchild with her partner and like the the biological mom is like just a powder keg constantly about to go off like whenever something bad happens in her life they know that they're gonna get start to get something from her do you know what i mean like she's gonna start to um give them static because like it's something that happened to her and so now she's like got to take it out on everyone around her what's this powder what's powder powder would you say powder like a powder keg Never. Oh, I don't you don't know, know the, the oh, like a powder keg, like um, like I think like an explosive, basically. A powder keg is like an explosive. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love getting a little uh, word teaching to you, like a little phrase, <laughs> turn of phrase. Uh, Hannah, are you here to tell me that I'm wrong? Absolutely not. I'm here to have Lisa do a pickup. It's four percent of ordinary people, one in twenty-five, <laughs> not one in four, which I feel like is an important thing to do a pickup of. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I think we should leave. It's like makeup or something like that. <laughs> It's like not <laughs> one in four. And I was like, I'm going to make sure that's correct. But 4%, one in 25 yeah. is still a ton. But one in 25, we all know 25 people. We all know multiples of 25 people. So you all know a few sociopaths in your life for sure. Yeah. And also, like we're all, I mean, yeah, the older you get, I mean, I can't wait to get more and more wise and understand more of the world. Like what I see now versus 10 years ago is just such a difference um, about just like, how to react i don't know how to see things like i i can't wait to see what i learn in 10 years yeah, yeah. about all the people and you'll be dating joe coy <laughs> yeah i'll be dating joe coy <laughs> um no i but who knows who knows but that's funny yeah no i want them to be together i know i know I, you'll, you'll be dating your joe coy your joe coy like whoever your joe coy is yeah i wonder i think i did one episode of chelsea with him for sure i did well, we probably don't we have a picture of probably you and him and Margaret that you don't even remember. Oh, no, it was you and Margaret <laughs> yeah. and Ross Matthews. I, I can't believe I can't you don't even, even remember that. And now you're so obsessed with drag race. You don't even remember that you've like <laughs> fully met him. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, but someone on my Twitter was like, oh, are you going to be Ross Matthews for Halloween? And I'm like, is this shade or what? Uh, what are you doing? I don't know what that means. I don't know. Wait, what is this? Yeah. Oh, wait, we're looking at. Oh, it's me. <laughs> I'm looking at a photo of a guy of a guy named Jeff Wilde, Lisa, 
Joe Coy and Chewy Bravo, who was uh, who has since passed. But I'm so jealous that Lisa got to meet him. I'm with Chewy. Wait, and that guy Jeff is who I wrote on Wipeout with. Oh, no way. Jiffy Pop yeah, or Jiffy something? Wild, she would call him he, Jiffy he goes by Jeff now again. I think he only went by Jiffy because Chelsea called him that. <laughs> and it was 2014, everybody. And it's 2014. on Joe Coy's Facebook. How did you find that so quick? I mean, that's why she's making the big bucks. And then all the comments are like, I love you. And then one of the comments is, she's such a dick to you, Joe, LOL. <laughs> Guess what? You're fucking now. Well, in the interview, she, uh, or they were like on Insta, I don't know. I saw them talk. I'm like obsessed. I want every content about Chelsea and Joe Coy. But she was just like, you've always had a crush on me. And he's like, no, I didn't. And she's like, yes, you did. But we had a riff and rap. I don't know. It, it's just, it's cute. Yeah. Um, let's segue into this week's what would sister Peg do? I just wanted to highlight, I found this Instagram account, um, a while ago and I still follow them. It's, uh, her whole truth is what it's called. It's Instagram.com forward slash her whole truth, W H O L E truth. And it highlights stories and challenges of women on death row. And it's basically aiming to end the cycle of trauma and uh, find out women's truth. So I just, they were doing a lot to try to get a stay of execution for this woman that I've mentioned before who committed a horrible crime, but also had a horrific um, upbringing. And they're, they're constantly sort of trying to end this cycle of violence that leads women to commit crimes that then they are punished for with capital punishment. So uh, I think it's, it's a good follow and uh, they, they have more resources uh, over there. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, this podcast is not for capital punishment, if you were wondering. <laughs> so next week's episode, we're doing one of the best, one of the faves, one of the classics. I can't believe we finally get to talk about it. Uh, Taboo, season seven, episode 14. 14 divided by two is seven. It is magical. So <laughs> enjoy that on Peacock, Hulu, or wherever you're catching up on SVU episodes. And as always, we're so happy that you listen and enjoy us yeah. and keep us researching horrific crimes day in and day out. And feel free to DM us with your episode suggestions. And some people are sending us merch suggestions. We love talking to you guys. So yeah, send us messages and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun-dun! <laughs>